This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have three stories. The Whiskey Midget Freak Show by Vincent Lewis Corella. Root by Claudia Smith. And European Tour by Kendall Walker. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts. The Whiskey Midget Freak Show, written and read by Vincent Lewis Corella. Listening time, 3 minutes, 12 seconds. The Whiskey Midget Freak Show, Vincent Lewis Corella. Out there it was dangerous, in the sump bottom with those colored lights swirling slow and all that cheap liquor and the carnival whores painted up pink and tawdry like a crepe paper rose. His daddy told him this many times so that it got to the point where he could say it all himself so he already knew what the answer would be. His daddy didn't want to discuss it anymore. He put the newspaper down and gave him the stink eye but the boy looked like he might up and cry so he handed him a crumpled dollar and sent him down to Webster's for a soda pop with ice. But he didn't go up that way. He took the tunnel road instead. He cut down through the Branlot place in an evening of pure springtime, and the light that shined on him was gold like flame. He could see all the colors through the tree branches, and a hot line of amber fire running along the fence rail. This was the night the cicadas came up from the holes in the ground. They clung to everything, on the blades of grass and on the fences. He saw them massed together on the stop sign post. He watched the ivory nymphs break through their husks, all moist and stunted. Their eyes are drops of pure red blood. In the woods, out by the sump bottom, it was real dark, but he could hear the calliope and the shouts of the revelers coming to him through the trees. He came through the brambles on his hands and knees, and the colors of the light spun crazy like a kaleidoscope and made him dizzy with glee. He met the boys at the popgun gallery, and they drank from a flask of I don't know what that burned like poison. They rode the kitty coaster again and again, that's some mad little thunder, until the carny, who had but one withered arm, shooed them out with a stick. The glow of the liquor lasted and lasted. They broke all those bottles with the BB guns, and he won himself a stuffed pink bear. He carried that bear all over, and they snickered at him and made jokes so good that even he had to laugh. And when the flask went dry, they took in the fat lady and the freaks. There was a man who had himself a tail he could wiggle like a pup's and a bona fide hermaphrodite with boobies and a dick. There was a tattooed lady who could shoot balls out of herself and smoke cigarettes with it, too. The smoke oozed out slow and lazy, and it made his belly hot just to watch the pussy farts after she was done. Last was the midgets. They had themselves a whole family in a tiny house so you could watch them do what they do. There was a mama and a daddy and a little girl one, too. She had the saddest eyes he had ever seen. The boys all laughed and threw peanuts, but when it was over, he left for her the stuffed pink bear. He came home through the woods, wobbling drunk, and he could still see. He could see the stars up there in the sky above him in the dark leaves of the trees. He could see the cicadas on the fence post of the Branlot place waiting for the sun to dry them off so they could fly away at dawn and call to each other and couple together in that strange way back to back and then fall to the ground to die. His daddy told him they came up every 17 years like this. They wait down there in holes like zombies in their tombs. The last time they came to perform their ritual, he wasn't even born. Vincent Lewis Corella's upcoming debut novel, 
Serpent Box chronicles the short life of a young boy on a quest for God, meaning, and the secret mysteries of faith. Cruella lives in a state of perpetual wonder, in the state of perpetual dreams. California. Root. Written by Claudia Smith. Read by Kelly Shriver. Listening time, 3 minutes, 19 seconds. Root by Claudia Smith. The year of the 17-year locusts wasn't a year of locusts at all. They were cicadas, my daughter Kayla corrected. The cicadas wouldn't shut up. I could never sleep, but Kayla did. She passed out every night wearing her bleached-out white shirt and jeans, glasses falling off her face, surrounded by books and articles she'd printed from the internet. One of them was about a man who tried cooking with the cicadas and ended up dead in the emergency room, poisoned. There was nothing to do at night but worry. I watched her, the crusts of dandruff forming in her hairline, the sandy, blonde-brown hair she kept threatening to cut, the constant pimple at the bridge of her nose. I read her notebooks. Lists of loathing she'd written. There was also a story about a woman who finds a baby creature wrapped in a stained blanket in the shrubbery at a park. The woman made me wince. She was so like me, jogging after sleeping with a man she worked for. She wore stained sweats and wasted her money on drugstore tooth whiteners. It went on and on, the description of this woman, her skunky highlights, her sad outlet store shoes, her faded lip liner. Then the story remembered the monster creature came back to him. He was scaly and bandaged, mewing like a kitten. The woman carried him home and held him against her breast, giving him her warmth. The woman fed the baby and it grew quickly into a snake with sleepy gold eyes and a beautiful metallic voice. At night, the snake fed, roaming the city, and the woman asked no questions. There was a line about the snake gleaming in the night like a million fireflies. In the morning, Kayla opened the fridge, called our food shit-for-shit-eaters. I made her an omelet. You know what? I think the cicadas have it right, she said. Hatch from eggs, burrow into the ground, sleep for 17 years, sucking up root juice. Wake up, climb to the surface, make a lot of noise, have sex, and die. Of course she knew about my abortion. I know all about it, Mom, your trip to Planned Parenthood. It made her pray. She knelt in imitation of the little golden book of prayer her grandparents had sent her years ago. I'm not going to talk about this with you, I told her. She drew pictures in her notebook. Mom, I know you are reading this. A praying mantis eating another praying mantis. Her young or her mate? Kayla would know, of course. I lay down beside her, watching her chest rise and fall. I wanted to smell her hair, but that might wake her. When she was small, I would cup her clean breath in my hands. I had to shut off the noise. We drove to the ocean. It was winter and empty, the way we liked it. We rolled up our jeans, and the water felt full of ice cubes at our ankles. I imagined her thinking, hating my chipped toenails, the lilt in my voice. We ate cheap fried clams and stayed in a dank motel. I slept like a cicada, not remembering my dreams. The End Claudia Smith's work has been anthologized in Norton's The New Sudden Fiction, Short Shorts from America and Beyond. 
and so new media's consumed women on access her collection the sky is a well and other shorts is available from rose metal press european tour written by kendall walker read by ann rushton listening time seven minutes the train from berlin to warsaw the slow train the milk run was supposed to arrive in the station at 10, but it wasn't until 11.15 that the suit-crusted engine finally belched its way in, shuddering and growling as it slowed in the eerie green light under the tinted skylights of the station. Behind it, the passenger cars had round, dented tops, like the hail-pock tin roofs on collapsing old barns in America. From inside the cars, the passengers turned their wan, hungry faces to look pleadingly at those on the platform. Like prisoners in a penal transport, Carl thought, still hoping vainly for rescue. Agatha, meanwhile, had tied her jacket by its sleeves round her waist, slid her arms into the straps of her backpack, and taken her guitar case by its handle. It looks crowded in there, she said, so we better get moving. As they shoved through the confusion of people and luggage in the aisle, Carl kept his eyes fixed on the familiar tattoo of serrated flames, visible, above Agatha's backpack in the round neck of her tank top. The seats in the compartments they passed were red and pink vinyl, lined with hardened trickles of an unidentifiable resin. Toxic-looking yellowish foam erupted in patches where the vinyl was broken. The compartments were packed, filled mostly with tired, grubby families, dressed entirely in denim, heading back after a weekend in the capital to whatever town in the flat eastern plains they inhabited. In one of the very last cars, there was finally a compartment with only one girl, she sat in the middle of a row of three seats, her hair tightly permed, her scrawny torso lost in the bulk of a Michigan sweatshirt. This ought to do it, Agatha said, and swung her backpack onto one of the empty seats in the compartment. The night before had been the first, since they had arrived in Europe, that Carl and Agatha had not had enough money for even the dingiest hostel. Agatha had ended up going home with a dark-haired man who'd approached her, supposedly to compliment her singing in the bar where, earlier in the evening, they'd played their five-song set to earn tips from the indifferent audience. Carl was left to guard their guitars at the station and to nap, as best he could, on the cold chrome of the metal benches, in amongst the indigenous homeless. After she arrived and shook him awake in the morning, Agatha had pulled 20 euros from an ATM. Whether this money actually existed in her bank back in Cambridge, or whether it was just a phantom overdraft, was a question that troubled Carl then purchased a loaf of black, crusty bread, a thing of Nutella, and a bottle of vodka at the store in the station. Standing in line as they waited to check out, Carl had sleepily started telling her about the conclusions he'd reached in the night, that as they moved further east, the crowds were likely to only grow stingier, and that maybe they needed to retreat back to Boston and work some more on their material. Agatha had just looked forward, though, stern and unreachable, staring into the rushing morning crowds in the station. I won't put up with what happened last night, Carl wanted to tell her. I won't put up with that again. But the moment he thought of saying this, the cold grip of a homesick loneliness clutched at him, and the only warmth in all of Europe he knew was with Agatha. The train pulled out through the high-rise settlements on Berlin's eastern edge, then progressed through wasted industry. Around one of the bends in the track, the stone-carved head of a pig stared down at them from the top of the gothic-arched gate 
to what must once have been a slaughterhouse. A bit further on, yellowing weeds grew thick in the gravel yard of what looked to have been once a factory. Don't happy, someone had spray-painted on one of the gray concrete walls. Be worried. In the compartment, the skinny girl with the perm watched them sheepishly. Carl guessed she'd probably been traveling alone a long time. Hey, she ventured finally, giving a submissive smile. My name is Skylar. Are you guys from the States? Oh, fucking Christ, Agatha mumbled. Yeah, Carl attempted. We're from Boston. But Agatha's words had done their work. The girl, Skylar, turned and stared big-eyed out the window. Once the train had sped up in the flat, sandy fields outside the city, Agatha took a crumpled soft pack from her bag and lit a cigarette. The cigarette was old, stale, and foul-smelling, like a thick, burning rubbish fire. Skylar, after a lot of uncomfortable twitching, got up and started to fuss with the window. It was the kind that had spring-loaded latches you needed to retract with your fingers. The latches must have been stuck, though, or rusty, because Skylar couldn't budge them. As the train took a bend, she stumbled back into her seat, almost winded from her efforts. The train stopped at Slubica, just over the border in Poland, and two men in green fatigues walked the corridors, machine guns suspended from the straps of their chests. Relentlessly, they slid open the door to each compartment, examining passports. A red-haired, bushy-mustached conductor followed them, asking for tickets in Polish. Carl fished the passports and tickets, both his and Agatha's, from the jacket pocket where he kept them, on the left side of his chest. He watched Scarler searching, ever more frantically, through the messy inside of her backpack, jumbled with books, clothes, and Tupperwares, coming up with a ticket but not the passport. I thought you didn't need a passport anymore to get from Germany to Poland, Carl whispered to Agatha, but Agatha raised a strict calloused finger, its nail chipped from plucking to her lips. When the men with machine guns reached the compartment, they asked Skylar three times in Polish for her passport, and she told them three times in English that she didn't seem to have it. Then one of the guards made a commanding, upward-thrusting, open-palm gesture with the hand not resting on his gun stock. Skylar stood up and zipped her backpack. The border guard used the same hand to point her out. While all of this was happening, the conductor lingered just outside the doorway, humming gently to himself. Once first Schuyler, and then the men in fatigues, had pushed past him, the conductor stepped forward and validated Carl and Agatha's tickets with two quick pops of his hole punch. Is it possible to open a window in here? Agatha asked him as he handed the tickets back to Carl. The conductor jerked his head up quickly, like a pointer catching a scent, then plodded forward to the window and forced his stocky thumbs into the latches. The window went up with a screech. Everything is possible, he announced proudly in English and bowed slightly towards Agatha. Then he left the compartment. Agatha leaned back and propped her feet up on the seat across from hers, where Skylar had been. She slid over and rested her head, snuggling in on Carl's shoulder. Just let us give it to Moscow. The End Kendall Walker lives in self-imposed exile in Berlin, Germany and upstate New York. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories. <laughs>